This is the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. What's up, Menopod? Today's episode is a special one. It's all about never giving up on your dreams. Menopause gives us an opportunity to redesign our lives uh, if we want or if we're called to as, as I was. Now, our guest today is responsible for selling over $700 million in retail jewelry sales, and she started with nothing. She has an amazing story, and she gives us her advice very generously in the episode. This is one I will come back to and listen to over and over. Remember, to achieve any goal, it requires change. We have to give something up or start something new or think and act in a way that feels foreign to us. The change is possible and it's not going to happen overnight. The first step to change is making the decision to change, but then we have to take action. And that's the big challenge, right? How do we take any action? And even more importantly, what actions should we take? The menopause movement is here to help you with all of that. Menopause can be a time of misery or it can be a time of unapologetic action toward creating a life we love. I woke up in the middle of my menopausal journey hating myself, my body, and the life I had created. I didn't know what to do, so I went on a quest to find out how to make change happen. And the result was the menopause movement and this podcast. Now, the menopause movement has one purpose, to help end the suffering caused by menopause through transformational education and coaching. And we want to help you too. So head on over to menopausemovement.com, Take the quiz there, and not only will you discover your type, but we'll also tailor some offerings to help you take your life back from menopause. Getting into the driver's seat of my life was the first step I took to overcoming the changes and the challenges I experienced with menopause. But I did it alone, and it was lonely. The menopause movement has created a community of kick-ass women who are unapologetically deciding to become their best selves one small action at a time, and you can too. Join our community and start to create a life you love. Welcome, Victoria Wick, to the show. Today, Victoria is the epitome of the rags-to-riches American dream story. She immigrated from South Korea to America with her parents with only $30 and has built a multi-million dollar business with over $500, uh, $500 million in retail sales. After a series of corporate jobs, Victoria started her own company in 1989 on a shoestring budget to spend more time with her family. She's founded several other successful businesses since then. She's worked with a wide variety of retailers worldwide, ranging from major department stores to duty-free stores, as well as internet and TV retailers. For the past 23 years, 19 years on HSN and four years on Shop HQ, Victoria has been sharing her jewelry designs with millions of viewers during her own monthly shows. She has built her highly successful businesses following her passion for jewelry without sacrificing her family life. Throughout her career, she's had to invent ways to have her products consistently outperform her competition and thrive. Victoria is the author of the upcoming book, Million Dollar Hobbies, and also is the author of the science fiction novel, Shattered Sky, scheduled to be released in 2021. She completed a BS degree in economics from UCLA and an MBA with emphasis in marketing and finance from USC. During the show, we talk about Victoria's immigration to the US in the 1970s, why she started a business, her actual goal, power of grit. Interpreting the meaning of no, cultural stereotypes around women, 
Starting a Business with No Money, How to Grow a Brand Without Advertising, The Two Quotes Victoria Lives By, The Most Powerful Tool a Small Business Can Have, The Do It Now Strategy to Turning Your Passion into Profits, and Stay to the End to Find Out the Secret to Making Money. It's not what you think. And check out Victoria at menopausemovement.com forward slash MDH, where you can buy the book and get some great advice from Victoria. At the end of the episode, visit menopausemovement.com forward slash podcast, where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy the episode, make sure you leave a written review, like and subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, who should we have on the podcast, right? What can we do to make it better? I definitely want to hear from you. Send me an email, drgordon at menopausemovement.com or send me a message on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Michelle Gordon, D-R-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-G-O-R-D-O-N. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Now let's get to Victoria. So Victoria, welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm super, super happy to have you here. You've got a really interesting background. And so uh, this is kind of in our business growth series, and I'm super excited to have you here. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you how you got into business here in America? So thank you so much for uh, inviting me to your show. I'm so excited to speak to you as well. I've got co- tons of questions about menopause because, you know, Yay. I went through that for a little <laughs> while and it wasn't fun. Um, right. So I actually immigrated here uh, in 1971 with my parents. And at that time in South Korea, Korea was run by a military junta. And as a society, they weren't really uh, kind to young girls with dreams. You know, uh, mm. they didn't want girls. So girls were the first one to be given up for adoption and all that. So since my dad had four, four girls, he wanted uh, the girls to have an opportunity. And he kind of told us that America is where all dreams come true, especially for mm. girls. And it's the promised land, you know, the whole thing. So we came here and found out that uh, the government has actually frozen all of our assets um, in both countries. So we ended up with 30 bucks that my dad had in his pocket. Wow. And um, so, you know, he, they actually went to, my father just walked down the street the next day and asked for a job at a gas station. So he started, uh, you know, working gas stations and my mom worked manual labor for uh, a few years. So it was pretty rough. And, but I never, you know, it, it seemed hopeless, but I could never give up hope because that's the only thing we had to hang out to. But eventually, you know, when I became an adult and I want, I, and I was getting good corporate jobs, you know, I got myself educated. Then, I realized I was doing the same thing to my parents. Uh, my parents did to me that I was going to do to my kids, which was to uh, have nannies or other people raise my kids. And I was going to be absent because my parents were absent from the day we and, you know, landed here. So mm. I took a leap of faith and started my little company. And um, here's the thing you might find interesting. My dream scenario um, was that I could sp- I could spend time with my children so I didn't have to have a nanny or a caretaker for them. So I was present for them like uh, 9 to 2 p.m., which is, you know, where the 
they really needed me. But I was willing to live on $36,000 a year. That was my, and actually, that was my dream scenario. So if I only made $24,000 a year, I was going to make do with that. But looking back at my career now, I've done somewhere between $500 million to $700 million. And, and I did spend a lot of time with my children, which was the most important thing to me. And I was- Wait, wait, wait. But I just, I just got to say, so you've, is that your retail sales yeah, or is that actually sales. your profit? Yeah, totally. So you've sold seven-tenths of a billion dollars in retail sales. Right. It's all my own product. So I didn't, you know, do any endorsements or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I was able to- You guys, I just, I, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> okay, I, this, is, okay, I, I, this is not something, this is not something that we can- um, I don't think we should we should gloss over that because you've sold almost you know seven tenths of a billion dollars of of retail sales puts you in the that's like top ninety six point six not no nine six percent of all businesses. I mean it's huge, and so I want to just like I think that's amazing. So Thank I, I want to say Thank that you. and I want to yeah. make sure that. You know, yeah, the reason I really don't think about it that much is because that was never my goal. My goal right. really was to live a healthy, high quality life without having to make all the sacrifices. And you know, to be honest with you, I think that after my first 10 million or so, I really, it didn't matter. Like the business kind of mm. grew on its own. You know, like I it wasn't as hard to go from 10 to 100 million than it was the first million. I mean, 10 first million is really hard. First million was first million is really hard. <laughs> it was horrible. It's really hard to get to that first million, yeah. but after that, then then you know, and then but you know, ten million looks a lot different than one million, and a hundred million looks different than a million, right. than ten million. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So you know, I uh, I was willing to live on less than you know other people, even though I was pretty well educated and all that, and um, so I focused on that. I focused on the other qualities of life, such as health you know, relationships with your family, uh, just wisdom of, you know, just doing yeah. the right things, having the moral compass, you know, and eventually the business grew and grew and grew because at some point your money makes money and then your brand just kind of grows because on the, the strength of the brand as well. So that's my basically my story. I, it's not an extraordinary story. And I think as we unfold this interview, you'll find that most of the things I've done to create my business really didn't require money or influence uh, or even uh, degrees. I mean, my degrees really weren't very useful to to building mm -hmm. my my business. Really. Well, so you started your business when in what year? Nineteen eighty nine. Nineteen eighty nine. So in nineteen eighty nine, you start your business, and you said in our pre interview here, you said that you spent. In all the times of that business, you spent less than $10,000 on advertising. Right. So as somebody who has spent a lot of money on advertising, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would like to uh, get an understanding of how it is you did that and what kind of culture you created for your, you know, what kind of like experience you created for your customers. First of all, what did you sell? So um, in 89, if you go back, if you're coaching menopause, I'm sure you remember 89. <laughs> Because, you know, when I go I on podcasts, um, some of these millennials who are co hosting my podcast, they don't even know what, it, they were born, you know, in 1994 yeah, or know. something. <laughs> I was just... living in Southern California in 19, actually, I was married and going to college. Okay. I, I, had, I had gotten married, I was like 25 years old in, in 89. So in 89, if you recall, uh, we didn't have internet. We didn't have mm -hmm. laptop computers. We had those computers yeah. that the CRT machines at banks and stuff. And you know, yeah. some of the universities had uh, computers. Like I went to UCLA, they had a thing called the Orion or something. 
with the microfish and all. So we didn't have any of that. We, uh, I think 89, 90 was the first year. In fact, Microsoft and uh, Windows, uh, Microsoft and Apple both were founded in 89. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, uh, so basically we didn't have a whole lot of stuff and I didn't have money. I didn't have, I sold jewelry. Um, so what happened was I've always loved jewelry. When my parents escaped Korea and my uh, grandmother escaped the North Korea, you know, people, all of the times, the thing that they took was a jewelry box, not because it was, it was valuable too, but also it told family history, you know, who got married mm-hmm. when and all that. And, you know, what's been in our family for, you know, since the year 1300 or something. So I felt like that's something I understood. So when I started my jewelry business, I realized at that time, women, we were the first generation of women who actually worked outside the home in a managerial position. You know, there weren't that many physicians that were females back then. There weren't that many lawyers that, you know, uh, they didn't, it's it's a known fact that most uh, MBA (laughs) schools, for example, had 10% women. (laughs) So... When we first went to work, you know, the women looked like men. They actually wore men's suits, you know, had these little uh, white bow ties. Remember that? Remember Anderson Consulting? Yes. Remember yes. how Anderson Consulting had, have, that was before the whole Enron thing, but yeah. Anderson Consulting had, uh, everybody had to wear the same type of suit yeah, and women exactly. had to look like mm-hmm. men too. Yeah, exactly. And and the other thing that happened back then, you know, my mom and f- my, my mom and, and dad, they, they separated and my mom wanted to buy a car and she couldn't get credit. And this was like 79 right, or 80. Right. Because you she were Mrs. Somebody. My dad, she didn't have a name. Right. My yeah. dad had to co-sign yeah, yeah. Uh, to, you know, with this, there was no, there was no protections right. for women, even, even that recently. Yeah. So female owned business, minority <sighs> female owned business in 89 was like a rare exotic species of some sort. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> for me, you know, so it kind of, I kind of stood out that way, but I felt that, uh, you know, after a few years, women were just kind of beginning to rebel about dressing like men. And we literally went to the same stores and, um, you know, had these little bow ties instead of the long ties. And so I thought, you know, uh, jewelry was sold as status symbols for women who lunched um, back then. You know, this was a two carat diamond for this or that. It was based on carat weight and the quality. It was it wasn't based on style. And so there was no real high quality, heirloom quality, daytime pieces of jewelry that was a little bit more toned down, understated, that actually reflected your personality. You know, if you were an edgy girl or if you were an elegant girl, you didn't have any way of showing that with the outfits that we had to wear. So I felt like, you know what, this is a way, uh, jewelry can speak volumes about you, your personality, whether you're you're an out. Landish person, you you loved color, whatever. So I really focused on that working woman because I felt like she was craving for something, and she made her own money, and she needed to differentiate herself from other, you know, see of other women that were coming in. So I focused on that, and since I didn't have money uh, to make samples, I had no connections. I actually drew them all, uh, like in a lookbook. And I went to the the Neiman Marcus on Rodeo and Wilshire and asked the assistant buyer there, assistant manager there, if you had something like this, would you be able to, I just wanted like feedback from her. Mm. And I asked her, um, you know, how much would you sell it for? And believe it or not, uh, these assistant buyers, and I also went to Saks across the street. I went to uh, the Bullock stores, all the stores around. And they all were like, oh my God, yeah, we can sell it. Like, you know, amazing. Uh, a lot of the movie stars or their stylists, the production houses, mm-hmm. they don't want something that's in the case. They want something nobody has. So we can sell it. You know, I can sell it for you if you leave the book. So that's how my business kind of got started. But I always knew that that world, that store, the Neiman's and Saks right across from each other in, uh, in Hollywoodville was not America. 
So yeah. then I went to, you know, the Orange County stores, the stores in uh, San Fernando Valley, all the different stores, and I got as much feedback as I can. And then I came up with like eight styles that I actually would, you know, was able to so, invest money in. So I think there's a really good opportunity here to talk about the power of grit. Yeah. When when we have when we have a dream or a desire that we want to go after, right? It's almost like the universe comes down and says, you know, this is your, this is what you've got to do now. And then you're like, I want to stay home with my kids. How can I do that? And here you are like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to draw some jewelry. Right. <laughs> I got know? nothing to lose, right? <laughs> yeah, nothing. exactly. Yeah. And the other thing though, would be some sort of interpretation of rejection that just means not right now. Right. Right. Because, you know, it's like actors who, who go on an audition and they just don't get picked for the role. I mean, that could, if, if, if you don't have a mindset that says, you know what, that's just, I just wasn't right. I didn't look the right part. I didn't, you know, I wasn't the right, I wasn't right age. You know, I don't have the right smile. They're looking for somebody with crooked teeth. You know, I spent yeah. a lot of money on caps, things like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, so if you don't fit the part, you're not going to get the part. And that's, I mean, and there's, there's a lot of people to look for. Right. And so there's something about, about how we tend to handle rejection and what no means. And it, it takes grit to be able to take that kind of rejection. I mean, even in my business, even in my business where, you know, 99% of the people will say no, but those 1%, man, boy, do they ever make their lives better. True. Right? And the thing is, and I think this is lesson number one for all of you who are listening, and that is whenever, you know, I, I uh, design jewelry for a living, I write books, and I have a podcast. And, you know, when I write my books, I'll, I'll, I'll write the chapter. I'll send it to, you know, random people. Like, I'll ask people on my Facebook, you know, hey, would you like to read it? And they say yes. When I send it, I don't ask them, what do you think about it? I ask them, I don't want you to tell me what you think about it. I need you to tell me four different ways I can improve it. Mm, I love that. So just give me four ways I can improve this particular chapter. And then you get the feedback because they don't, you know, you're asking them to improve it. You know, you tell, so when people say no, it's just feedback. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, whenever I, a buyer says, well, you know, not at this time, or I don't like it or whatever, I ask them, you know, that's great. You don't have to buy a thing. I just want some feedback. What are you buying now? And what would it take for me to actually get a second appointment? Because then they will tell you what you have to do. Because once they are invested in that, once they are invested in telling you, well, these pieces are too big, or they, they have way too much color, or they are too expensive, and you come back with what they told you they didn't want. And then you say, you know what, Michelle, I listen to you and you gave me some great feedback. It turns out that everybody else said the same thing. And, you know, because you gave me that feedback, I'm coming to you first, you know, with the corrected pieces. You know, is there anything yeah. you like here? Am I closer to the target? You know, you, you'd find that that person has very little ways to wiggle out of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If nothing else, they'll even throw you a bone or something because you, I mean, you asked for it. A lot of people, they go, you know, we don't want it. They're like, oh, okay, thank you. Now you just pack up and you leave. Like, oh, she was a jerk or, you know, she whatever. It doesn't matter what if she, the person may have been a jerk. But, yeah. you know, I would, I always ask that. And so when you ask, whenever I go see anybody, I always ask for feedback first. I think that's really great. And remember that, you know, especially if you're in sales, right? It's the fortune is in the follow up. If you don't follow up, if you don't remember people and, you know, have yourself some sort of a system where you're going to make calls and get them on the phone or go and visit them, then, you know, the first time you see somebody, they may say no, but the seventh time you see them, they might say yes. Yeah. And 
I'm going to tell you another thing that's really interesting is many of you who are thinking about starting a business or maybe you started a side hustle. You know, I also think your podcast, the menopause movement, I, I find this really fascinating and I'll tell you why, because mm. the menopausal woman, you know, all of us, especially this generation of women who literally went through hell and back, right? Yeah. We, there's no other generation who's had to do what we've had to do. This generation of people had to be the first ones to actually go outside the war, uh, home and work. Some of the women who didn't go to work, I mean, actually, they looked down at us the, in the very beginning years. I'm a couple of years yeah. older than you. And they looked down at us like, oh, you know, or they looked down at our husbands like, oh, you have to have your wife go to work, you know, because yeah. you can't be a man enough to go being a big whatever. You know, all that was going on. That's number one. Number two, we then had to work four times as hard to make the hmm. same pay. And we never, there was definitely a glass ceiling. We never got beyond a certain level. You never, you got marketing directors or whatever, you never saw senior VP of anybody that was female. Um, so, you know, that happened. And then we went through a period where we had to take care of our, our parents. And then we had to take care of our kids. So we're the sandwich generation on top of all that. So, you know, we have stresses like crazy. So for yeah. those of us who have contributed to the multi-trillion dollar economy, uh, where we have made other people rich, we have made corporations rich, you know, a as a group. And so now you're you're sort of facing retirement years. If you're not there now, you're going to be there in the next 10 years or so. This is where you have the most amount of expertise in terms of people's relationships, everything else, and you're just going to be tired. Well, you might mm -hmm. as well start a small side hustle. If I can offer you a way, you can start a side hustle with no money, the way I've done, risk-free, no money. You got nothing but upside. Why wouldn't you take it, right? Yeah, so, well, I agree with you. So you start a business with no money. Well, let me tell you. So you, I just got to telling you how I started it. So I yeah. went to all these places. I, I didn't make no samples. You know, jewelry company, a lot of people who start a jewelry company, jewelry store, they will make, sample making will kill you because each sample will cost you somewhere between $300 to $1,200 just for making it, okay? Not for right. diamonds or anything else, just for them to make a master mold. If you have 100 styles, an average jewelry store has like five, 700 styles. So if you have 100 styles, that's like um, fifty dollars to $100,000 up front. And you've never gotten feedback from anybody that anything is going to sell, which to mm -hmm. me is really stupid, <laughs> you know, right? But I mean, think about when you say obstacles, like how do you start a business with no money? You have to kind of open your mind to, you almost have to convince yourself, I have no money. Okay, I have no money. So the next thing is when I got orders, I got orders for like, uh, you know, $1,000, $500, uh, $30,000. Well, how do you keep your inventory secure? Because the things you see in a jewelry mm -hmm. store usually is giant floor to uh, ceiling safe, fireproof, burglarproof safe. And then in order for you to have the safe, you have to have a place to safe house it. So you usually are paying rent plus the safe plus uh, jeweler's insurance, which is very high. Well, I didn't want to do any of it. So I was like, how do I now keep everything safe and still run a business? I was living in a uh, small apartment in Culver City. At that time, Culver City was like the where the, the nasty sort of town starts. <laughs> okay, So I was like, okay, this I is remember. not- I remember. Yeah. I was there then. Yeah, there's a gun fights there. and everything. So I'm like, you know, I yeah. can't keep it in here. So what do I do? You know, getting into debt was not a question. I wasn't going to do that. So, you know, I simply went to the B of A next door. They have those jewelry safes that people can rent. Okay, jewelry is small. I mean, you know, a thousand dollar bangle could be this size. Jewelry is yeah. tiny, small. So I rented those uh, two largest safe deposit boxes. Okay, they were one hundred and twenty bucks a year. What a great deal! <laughs> so it's I so got smart. two of those. Okay, and uh, I can go visit it anytime. And basically, I only shipped like twice a week. So whenever there was an order, 
I would basically go visit it and, um, you know, I'd have basically, you know, because there was also usually I did a business to business. There were bulk, you know, and the whole box was about as small as my laptop, you know, for a $5,000 order. And it went sure. out, you know, ba- you know, UPS, UPS, I had UPS come and get it. So basically that was a business, like a, a cost free model that most people who, who don't think outside the box would have spent, you know, forty fifty thousand $50,000 getting the safe and the rent and the lease, all that. So I didn't have any of it. Plus, once you have that, you have to have its personnel. So if you think outside the box and your expenses are that low, where everybody else was, you know, spending two to 5000 bucks a month in rent and safe and, and insurance before they saw a single customer, I had zero. I, I had like $100 a month of expenses. That gives so you a good. huge advantage, right? Sure, and I can yeah. go through my whole business model from the expenses side to the to the the customer side it's very the you know in in such a short time what i will tell you is this you know i can't go over every single thing i've done because it's 30 year careers it's it might take sure. a few hours but what i will <laughs> tell you is this if you get people if you get the first 20 people that you're dealing with to absolutely fall in love with you and in love with what you're selling how you treated them and and how you're that vulnerable you know person who's going above and beyond, those 20 people tell 10 people each, that's 200 people. And then if you treat them well, those 200 people then tell at least 10 people each. And this is how you grow your brand. So Mm. when I talk about like, how do you then make people find out who you are? Then how do they make, you know, so they have to find out who you are and they have to like you. They have to then trust you. And then they have to basically figure out if the, whatever you're selling is actually good for them, right? So first off, how do you get them to trust you? That trust factor, when people say, you know, uh, they have to, you know, like you, trust you and whatever. But that word trust has two factors in it. One is do I trust you as a person who's not going to lie to me, who's not going to cheat me? Do you look like a nice person who's not, you know, who's an, who's not a shyster? Okay, that's that's right. one level of trust. Once you pass that, because they won't do any business with you if they think you're just a fraud, right, or, or a liar. Okay, so, so you gotta you gotta get that. Okay, then once they do that, they go, geez, I really like Michelle a lot. You know, she's a surgeon and, you know, so down to earth and, you know, she's just an amazing person. But is she a great jewelry designer? I don't know. You know. I'll go to surgery for her if my life depended on I'm me. not a good ju- <laughs> But, you know, if she's hawking jewelry next month, I don't know that I, that would be where I would buy my jewelry. Okay, so right. you got you to gotta earn that trust on two levels. Your expertise is one of them. Usually people who are, the more experts they are, the harder it is for them to get the other trust because you think, oh, I got 15 degrees from MIT and Harvard, whatever, so I don't have to be likable. Right. You know, I can just kind of hide behind my degrees because that sells itself. Okay. So a lot of people do that. That's a mistake. So what happens is you, you know, the more down to earth you are, you know, the more vulnerable you are, all of those factors that make people want to cheer for you. A lot of people don't realize that's a huge advantage. Like when I went to these stores and I told them, you know, you don't have to buy anything. And in fact, like, you know, I'm just so sorry for wasting your time. But, you know, if you can just help me out because I'm trying to like start my own jewelry business, I have no money and I'm trying to figure out which of the five pieces that I might even start with. You know, I highly value your opinion. And, you know, those people actually sold my first pieces for me. I didn't I didn't yeah, ever ask for so it, great. but they did, right? Just being honest. So that's one. You know, I live by, um, a, there was a couple of quotes and I'm a huge person on quotes, a couple of quotes that kind of shapes who I am. And how I have built my business. And this is the lesson I want you to all listen to. The first lesson is by Nelson Mandela. And it's it's probably the least known quote that he has said, but I like, you know, things that are not all that well known. He says something like, it all seems impossible until it's done. Wow, yeah. 
And it's true because, you know, I, I spend a lot of time talking about how anything you want to get done starts with a thought. And our brains are so, so powerful. And what you focus on is going to expand. If you really want, you know, I mean, menopause is such a time for us to sit back and look at what what are our dreams? Right. What what kind of things did, did we want to do when we were 15, 20 years old that we let life happen and it just pushed us down because that's life. You know, w- women are expected to take care of everyone plus, you know, make money now and, yeah. and all the things, right? And so, you know, if you can dream it and believe it, you can get there. It's just, you just have to keep on believing and you can't give up. Well, think about it. Think about this with Nelson Mandela in the context that mm. uh, that this was said. This man spent 30 years in I prison, know. right? If you were in there for, I don't know about you, but for me, year three, I might be thinking, mm, I may never get out. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do whatever I can to get out. I mean, the last thing I'd be thinking about is it's never, you know, so I'm just saying here that when I listen to it, okay, my thought is for him, even though it seems impossible, not getting it done is not an option. So yeah. then what are you going to do to get it done? Right? That's that's the first thing. Second quote I love, uh, and this one is, I think is much more important in my business for sure, and in everyone's business. Yeah, I just think it's, it's going to make everybody a uh, better world. And that one is by Maya, Maya Angelou talking about people will, will forget what you've said, what you've done, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Right. So I have built a 100% customer-centric experience for my customers. What that means is, you know, it's a very subtle difference, but it's a huge difference to the consumer. So for example, I sell jewelry and I do it on TV. So when I was on HSN for 20 years, 19 years and nine months, you know, people will basically, I usually follow somebody else. So, you know, it's a 24 hour shopping experience, right? So, you know, I'll have sure. another jeweler just before me. It's, it'd be like a 24 hour jewelry day. The jeweler before me might say something like, oh, you know, I'm a extraordinary jewelry designer, Michelle, and I want this award and that award. And, you know, I was on the cover of such and such magazine and my products are sold everywhere and I, you know, Helen Hunt were this, you know, whatever. I mean, they'll pick out whatever name it is. And and by the way, you know, I have designed this wonderful piece, you know, that it's only like, it looks exactly like uh, what, you know, uh, so-and-so were d- during the awards, but it, and it's a knockoff copy and uh, it's only 50 bucks. Okay, that's what they'll say. I go on air and I'll say, so, so she said the word I, I won the award, I designed this, you know, I sell to so-and-so and my stuff is, you know, so I, my, me for a whole time. And and I'll tell you why a lot of people do that. Some of them do it because they think that that is how they establish their authority. I go on and I say something like, you know what? I am so glad that summer is here, aren't you? And I know you are so glad summer is here. And I know you're just so excited to get reconnected to society and reconnected with your friends. And when you do go out with your friends for the first time in two years, I want you to radiate. I want you to glow. I want you to do sparkle. I want you to really experience that in a way that no other way you can. And you know what? You've always told us, you know, in the last 10 years, that you love blue because we know that, you know, we sell a lot of blue. And so there's a whole blue collection that I've designed. And so it won't break your bank. You can sparkle, you can radiate, you can do this. And when you're done, you can leave it to your family, somebody, you know, in the future generations. And if you still don't get the money, you can give it to somebody who would appreciate it as charity. And so so when I say something, every time I use the word I, I use the word you, like five to one ratio. Yeah, well, I love that because it's. I think it's so important. We as humans, we tend to want to increase our significance. And we think that if we are more significant, we're going to get more. But what we want to do is really like how, and I'm guilty of that too. I mean, you know, all of my, my stuff changed probably in the last 
year to two years, I was like, it doesn't matter whether it's about me. I mean, it, it's not I don't about even, you. It's about them. I, of yes. course it isn't. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, I know exactly. that. But, yeah. but I had to like take myself out of it. And I just, you know, I talk about how, you know, what happened in menopause for me. But at the end of the day, it's like, look, if you're unhappy, I can help you. And here's all the things that you can get when you, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think that's really, really important that if you're somebody who is trying to influence people or you're trying to sell to people, it's so important to make it about them. About them. Yeah. And I do think that in the case of a doctor, uh, in the case of a professional, like if you're a lawyer or a doctor, whoever, they need to know that you're a licensed doctor. They need to know that you understand their pain. They need yeah. to know that you've done this for 30 years or whatever, and you've seen every kind of problem there is. I mean, you don't want it to be all about you, so, but it needs to, there needs to be a one or two sentence that sets up your authority. But then after that, it's all about them. And so you can, the storytelling part of this, I actually hold uh, free workshops on storytelling because a lot of your, you know, storytelling is the most powerful tool that a small business can have. And yet this is yeah. the one that they struggle with because they tell the wrong story and they tell the, sometimes they'll tell the wrong story to the right people. And sometimes they'll tell the wrong story to the wrong people at the wrong times in the wrong messaging format, <laughs> which is like a total disaster. But you could still say something like, you know what, you know, when I got my degree, you know, uh, in medicine, and when I practiced, you know, all of this, you know, I thought that this was XYZ. And what I found out after 30 years of, you know, helping women, that the real issues were ABC. And I myself had to discover all these issues that, that there were real problems that, you know, there was. So when you sit there and talk about that, and I understand your pain, and that, you know, there are solutions. It's not your fault that there are solutions that's easy, accessible, applicable, that you can change your life right now. And you can invest, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of time. You use the word you now many times. So for every I, you can use the five word, five use. So I think that, you know, now when people ask me, what do you do for a living? You know, easily, I would say, if I'm talking to somebody at a party, I'll say, I, you know, I design jewelry. But in a business forum, if I'm at a marketing marketers conference or brands or whatever, I say that what I'm really doing is to help you know millions of people memorialize the, their finest moments in life, because jewelry is sold for to you know celebrate marriages, you know uh, graduations, birthdays, uh, promotions. All th these are the milestone events, right? So it's a very yeah. privileged industry where you are intimately involved in their lives. Really, they keep coming back to you if you serve them right the first time. Because whoever forgets, where, you know, who designed your custom wedding ring. Right? right, so then right. it's natural for them to come back for the anniversary. It's natural for them to come back for the first baby's, you know, whatever. So what happens is when I say that, when I say that they memorialize, I help them memorialize their, their most important milestone moments. Then you shape your branding, which is, oh my God, now I, I have to worry about how timeless this design will be because they're going to have it forever. And then when they're done with it, their daughters might like it. So my designs have to be high quality and timeless. So. What the word timeless, a lot of people say, well, timeless means it can't be that trendy. It can't be that stylish. Mm -hmm. Well, it can be. And I'll tell you why. So this is a problem the jewelry industry had before, which was every wedding room looked the same. You know, 
it just had a the size of the center stone is the only thing that differed. Mm-hmm. But if you timeless, like if I incorporate things like little floral leaves or um, you know little critters or a hint of little waves or something, water. These are things that you know. Believe it or not, some of these butterflies and whatever has been here billions of years before us, and they're going to be here. They're going to live long after we're gone. So yeah. when I add elements that are stylish and beautiful and not so in your face, I come up with a. Uh, something that is memorable that they're going to love. You know, nobody, I mean, I have not met any woman who doesn't really like receiving flowers. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, so you come up with, you come up with solutions in a market niche that are different. So what happened was in, 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 when I built my business, I was the only one selling things that were significantly less expensive. It's, you know, had incredible styling to it, high quality. And I catered to the woman that was kind of forgotten that she would just go out there, make money and come back home and do the housework, do everything else. So I kind of had the market to myself for, for the long, longest time. And that's great. So yeah. you were, you really figured out a blue ocean in, in the sense of, of blue ocean strategy or, or radical differentiation. So I think that's awesome. So how could we talk about, you know, let's say for somebody who wants to start a side hustle, uh, how can they take their passion and turn it into a profit? It's interesting you asked me that because I actually just wrote a book. It's called uh, The Million Dollar Hobbies, How you how to Turn Your Business Idea into a Multi-Million Dollar Business. And I actually do it in seven simple steps. And I just, you know, you should just go out and buy the book because um, I'm going to tell you one thing about the book. I get paid on a dollars per minute basis on any, any shopping network. They were judged by dollars per minute. And you got to do several thousand dollars per minute every single minute you're on. So in order for me to write a book for a year to sell it for like a few bucks, it's yeah. a horrible ROI. But I just did it because I want as many people as I can reach to reach their dreams. And all of you who are listening in the menopausal age, you are the most, you have funding, you have patience, you've seen all the disasters around you, or you've seen all the mistakes your company's made, uh, your friend's company's made, your husband's company made, you know, and you're already so used to multitasking that you are the prime, okay? So this mm-hmm. is why I give all the free courses. I do uh, free courses on, and it's like a 45 minute at once a month, and I do free courses on storytelling, free courses on using video uh, for influencing, free courses on actually the emotional connection to with your customers because you want to have legions of your customers and also free courses on how you test your idea before you ever start uh, so that you can figure out, you know. That's really helpful. Yeah. Some people will spend a lot of money on something before they test their idea. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I really will not ask anybody to spend money on starting a business. You know why? Because when I started my business, I needed money to buy a fax machine. I need to buy, a, you know, there's all these things that we didn't have before. Today, all your advertising actually is free. So for example, you got social media, which is free. If you know how to use that, well, you don't ever need to put any advertising. And I actually teach a course on, on that, getting free... There are two reasons why 75% of small businesses go out of business, okay? They go out of business for many reasons, but the two actually account for 75% of all of them that go out of business. One is funding. The second thing is visibility. So visibility is why people advertise. So I teach a course on social media, guest blogging, host blogging, guest podcasting, host podcasting, 
And, you know, there's a whole other uh, thing about how you get visibility. So you need to do, you know, about two or three of the, all of them. But social media is a big one. Mm-hmm. And if you know how to use that effectively, you can really, you don't really need to advertise because it's more of a targeted audience for you and targeted messaging for the right people. And you can do all kinds of things. You can do, you know, polling, surveys, pre-sales. You can do all kinds of stuff without ever spending a dime on advertising. So basically, I teach all these courses, but the... In the Million Dollar Hobbies book, I go, it's seven simple steps and it's called do it now system. So the first one is define your, define your dream. So in my dream, for example, it's not enough for you to say, Oh, I want to make a, a lot of money. I want to start a business. You know, it's like if you want to lose weight and you say every, every year, Oh, geez, you know, this year I really, really, my New Year's resolution is lose some weight, lose 30 pounds or whatever. And, you know, I really have to get on with it because like now I got menopause. You know, I've gained 40 pounds since my kids were born. Okay. Great. Right. You know, by t- by February, 80% of those people have abandoned that dream okay, every year. That's a fact. But if you said something like, I want to lose 10 pounds in the next 10 weeks, which brings it down to one pound a week, right? And you yep. say now, and for that, I'm willing to give up, you know, my toast every, um, you know, Monday and Friday and my wine on, you know, Tuesday and Thursday. And I'm going to walk, you know, uh, three times a day, uh, 30 minutes a day, okay? So what happens is, you know, after 10 weeks, you may lose 12 pounds, you may lose eight. But if you were to do that again for the next 10 weeks, you've gotten 20 pounds off. You're mm-hmm. better off having done that. You'd be surprised. I think also, though, you got to remember that you have to give up something. Right. You've got to give up something. That's right? the whole so point. If you, yeah, that's, yeah. That's the whole point of my, my do it now system that define your yeah. dream is you define it, but you got to figure out how, how you're going to get there. Right. What you're willing and, to and give that's, up. And that's where, you know, we talk about behavior change a lot at the menopause movement. And the reason why we have a community and we have accountability buddies inside the community is because we want to do a lot of things, but we don't do them because behavior change is hard. Right, right. It's just the way it is. But it could and be a simple, the like, tiniest little step. But you got to start. You got to start small. Yeah, yeah. You got to start small. It's got to be so small that it's impossible to fail. And when you start that way, then you can actually build a snowball. Yeah, yeah. So, and then the second thing is uh, overcome. You can overcome a lot of things. All the things that you you say you don't have. You know, I don't have funding. I don't have confidence. I don't have expertise. I don't have connections. I don't have time. All these things. You got to overcome all that. Um, So the second thing is all those C words that we don't like. So (laughs) overcome that. And then I. I is uh, igniting your best idea because you know most people can't most women who have had to go to work uh, and you yourself could be one of them you know even if you hated customer service you, even if you hated people I know people who are like number one customer service award winner for like 10 years so they hate people but they learned how to <laughs> do their job and got it done right yeah. Um, right. You know, I know dentists who like quit at age 40 because, you know, uh, it was a good way to make a living, but, you know, they just hated it and they just yeah, quit. Yeah, people hate dentists. Yes. <laughs> so, too. I mean, it's high stress. Like how it is. Yeah, high stress. Yeah. So basically, most women are multi-talented. And so you got to pick the one idea, but ignite that. So, you know, basically I have this system. It's really simple steps that they can start their businesses. And, you know, started uh, mine, like I said, my goal was... $36,000 a year. And, you know, I've kind of passed that. Uh, I don't know how many years ago I passed that, but it was a while. Well, you know, I have a friend who's a, she helps parents. She She's, her name is Dana and she's got a, a system called Calm the Chaos. And she was a teacher and she started the side hustle, you know, back a few years ago. And it was only because she wanted to pay for her box wine. 
Right. That was right. the only thing mm-hmm. she, and she's just recently purchased a beautiful house in Arkansas and, and, you know, she's, she's got a multi-million dollar business now. And it's so, it's been so beautiful to watch right. as she's, as she's like become a different person through becoming, you know, a business person. And it's, but you've got to start with goals that are real. real. Yeah. You know, we all want to make millions of dollars, but you know what, right now, if I can just make my mortgage, I'm happy. Right. Or, you know, just pay your mortgage with, I just think that, you know, now we're living in this generation, in this time and age where people are living longer. We have a lot of information uh, at our fingertips. I mean, anything you want to learn how to do, you can go to YouTube and learn how to do it. That's Um, true. I mean, you, you look at how to start a business just on this podcast, just this episode. Okay, we are yeah. giving you so much information. It's, you know, we're giving you so much information. It's like a master class that somebody else would be charging $10,000 for, trust me. And, you know, I basically, if you come to the Million Dollar Hobbies podcast, which is what I, my podcast, I literally bring in uh, guests that have gone through very similar journeys to mine where they just had a simple idea like somebody wanted to I, I've got a chef who just wanted to lose a little weight it's a guy you know to lose a weight and he was too embarrassed to go out and look from diet foods or whatever started like cooking uh, his own food and eventually he uh, authored uh 13 different cookbooks, several of them are multi-million dollar, you know, New York Times bestseller. And he became a male fashion model on top of that's all great. that. And done oh, like, you know, 12,000 like, like, uh, hours of uh, live TV on the food networks all around the world. So literally the one thing, the one single thing you do can lead to, like you said, that snowballing effect. So mm-hmm. I, you know, for me right now, I really would want to touch all of your hearts just with one thing. And it could be, if you already have a side hustle right now, you're already, you know, baking for somebody or you're doing, um, you know, photography, whatever you're doing right now. If you want to learn one thing like video influencing or storytelling, you know, any one of you can just connect with me and it's free. I mean, literally it's free. I do have, um, you know, advanced courses for people who usually the advanced courses I teach are people who already are six figure businesses trying to get to the seven. Many of them are like on the cusp of doing the seven and they just can't crack that mm-hmm. because it requires they, a different mindset. Yeah. Because what happens, yeah, what happens, systems. what happens is they, they kind of got to that point by just working themselves to death. Right. And they don't realize like they actually have to step back and create a yeah. system with that it's going to grow on its own. And so that is what I, my, you know, my next level things are mostly that. So people who are just starting out, you know, you, I have a system where you can actually test uh, and tweak and test and tweak with no money. And, and usually it's like less than 20 hours a week. You can actually have a full-time job and get a side business going like tomorrow morning. You know, like not not next year. It could be like tomorrow morning. So I just, you know, I think for me, I just love the idea that I'm at this stage. I'm 63. I'm, uh, I'm at the stage of my life where I could give back, yeah. and not just giving back like checks. I do that too, but actually giving people a way to change their lives. Because now we, I think this is the first generation of people where you can rewrite your dream at menopause. You you can rewrite your dream anytime, but but menopause yes. is a great time to do it. You can rewrite. I want to get back to. I want to mm. get back to do it now because we got the uh, the I, but we didn't get the T yeah. and the now. Okay, T is your target <laughs> audience, right? Um, right on. So target audience, a lot of people 
don't understand who their target audience is, how small of a niche you have to be. So for example, if you were like a wealth manager, you know, you uh, many of you listening to me right now, you work in accounting firms or you're a CPA or, you know, whatever. So if you were, to, if you said my, my I only want to deal with people who are wealthy, okay, that was your target market. Well, if you were to place a Facebook ad and you said you were wealthy, you then have to define what wealthy is. So if you said people who make $250,000 or more, because that's your definition of wealthy, when you really meant was two hundred fifty to 400000 but you think they're wealthy, well, what's going to happen is uh, Facebook is going to come back and tell you that that is too broad of a range or because 250,000 or more, you're looking at maybe 30 million people or something like that. It's a lot of people, okay? You yeah. can't help all of them for one thing. And some of them might be billions and some of them might be 100 million people. They're not going to, you know, be your target market. So when you, but if you said my target market is uh, multi-billionaires, for example, in the other extreme, you don't even have to place a Facebook ad. You know where they live. They all live in San Francisco near Google. <laughs> um, you know, you, you don't, most of them. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's we still have the the, the guys in Omaha. Let's right, not forget. that's true. But I mean, <laughs> basically, the highest concentration of billionaires are in like three zip yeah. codes around there. So it's very easy. That I'm just giving you an example of. So for me, for my my jewelry, for, you know, I started out by saying I want to design jewelry, and I knew my target market was going to be working women, but. I didn't want to limit myself. This is the problem with a lot of uh, small business people. They're like, oh my God, if I only talk to working women, but all the other women who do lunch actually spend more money. So I just want to target all women, right? There has to be a way I can talk to oh, all no. women. If you're you talking to everyone, you're talking to no one. Right. So you do it. So what happens is, you know, and I did it. And then a lot of jewelers would say, you know, is my target market really woman? Because men actually buy a lot of jewelry for their wives, for their, for their daughters, for their mothers, whatever. So men love jewelry too. So, you know, then you're talking to everybody, right? But if you said, right. I'm only talking to working women, you basically come up with language that says, hey, you can look fabulous at work. You know, you can show how, you know, understated you are, your personality, that you're successful, and that you care about your company. Uh, you can have all of this looks for 50 bucks. That's a very easy ad, right? And you yeah. target the woman. So basically, T is that targeting uh, audience. And, and then the bigger thing is, where do they hang out in very large numbers? Because you got to be very efficient. Sure. And so you need both of them. You got to identify them and you got to figure out how to easily get to them. Because once you find out where they are, you don't need an ad. You don't know, you know where they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't need an ad. So uh, that's the trick. Um, and then now at the end is negotiating tactics. You know, you do need to be able to negotiate contracts, leases, uh, your clients, or even uh, if you are coaching, for example, like an offer, you do need to, that's all sort of a subtle negotiation. Mm -hmm. um, and then O is optimizing. What's your business model? Do you go from business to business, business to consumer or combination or all of those above plus the affiliate because every model has its pros and cons. The way you grow big would be, you know, if you're like, for example, if you're coaching, you can do one-on-one. -on -one. In my business, I do one-on-one -on -one, uh, still. and But I have a minimum dollar amount for one-on-one. -on -one. It's uh, $25,000. Mm -hmm. But most of the my one-on-one -on -one is more than 50000 And even at 50000 it's not a huge money maker for me because when I do one piece for TV, they'll do you know ten thousand pieces, and sure. so if I only made a dollar a piece, that's ten grand. <laughs> if I made right. ten grand a piece, that's a hundred thousand. So you know ten dollars a piece. So the numbers don't make any sense, but I'm still having that. But if you're doing one on one, you grow slower. But you're, you've got a very secure job, meaning that you, it's unlikely that 10 million women are going to just all of a sudden stop buying from you. Right. Uh, but if you want to grow fast, easy way to do it would be bringing in a business-to-business -business account. 
So like for me, uh, getting like a Macy's or a Bullux or, you know, the, those accounts all brought in the extra, you know, 300, I, I think I did like 10 million with Princess Cruises. Um, so they can add that dollar pretty quickly, but your margins are lower and they, their demands are higher. So, you know, even like um, I know uh, people who do leadership uh, coaching type thing, you can go after each leader and charge $25,000, like a CEO for 25000 bucks. But if you were to land a contract where you're teaching their whole corporation, you know, mm-hmm. then you're getting the $250,000 contract. That's a whole different thing. Yeah, so, for sure. So the optimizing your, uh, and you can put them on your resume, you know, hey, I coached, uh, you know, the, all the leaders of, you know, top Fortune 250. I mean, that'll get you the smaller people as well. So optimizing your business, what's your business model? And when I say optimize, least amount of expenses, highest revenue, and low risk. And then... The last thing is winning the game, which is people don't realize that when you launch something, whether it's a restaurant or a any business, okay, they think, oh my God, I'm going to save all my money and I'm going to you know, have a great strategy. I got my team and uh, I'm going to open this restaurant. I got the menu, you know, it's going to be fabulous. Okay. Think about your bu- business launch as almost like a job interview because you're really asking millions of people, thousands of people, your customers to hire you, right? If you're selling food for you know, a restaurant, you're asking them to hire you for the, as a chef for the night. So if you go to a job interview, you would do all the research on the company. You do all the research to see who's going to actually interview you. You'll find out who else actually applied for the job. What do I wear? What do I say? You do all this work before you actually go out to the interview. You show yeah. up to the interview dressed well. You perform well, do all this stuff. Then you do follow-up, right? So when you launch your business, it has to be very similar. You have to do all your research ahead of time, all your competitors, what, you know, who, who, you're ta- who you're dealing with. And what are they getting currently that you can offer? What are they not getting currently from whoever they're going to that you can offer? And what does that look like? And then you basically perform on the day. Then mm-hmm. you do the follow-up. So, you know, every day should be almost like opening day. A lot of people think, oh, God, I open it and, you know. I have 300 customers and you're like, no, you didn't have 300 customers because if 300 people came in and you had 600 people the next night, that's a good day. But if you had 300 people on opening night and the next night you only had 100, that is not a good day. Right. Because 200 people chose not to come back, right? (laughs) In six months from now, if those 200 people still didn't come back, they're probably going to tell people, other people, why they're not coming back. The food was horrible, service was the bad, or it was too expensive, it wasn't what I expected, or, you know, it's too far, whatever it is. Yeah. They're, they, they're not your customers. So I just, so those are, you know, and I, there's a real simple steps that I actually have worksheets and all this stuff for all of these people to follow. Mm-hmm. So you actually really can't screw it up. <laughs> it's, it's that's, really- no, that's really great. So we'll hook up the book definitely in the show notes for sure. And it's a step-by-step guide to mm-hmm. like starting yeah. a business. You know, if you want to start a side hustle thing is, you know, it's very simple to do it. Uh, you follow the steps, but it's not easy because if it were easy, everyone would be successful at it. And so don't give up on your dreams. That's I think the- Never. Yeah. That's, I think that's the take home message here. Yeah. Was there anything else you were hoping to share that we didn't get to? Well, I think, you know, I really, I just want everyone to know that having me being a menopausal woman uh, myself, I know how hard it's been, even for those of you who had great careers, it's been, it's not easy. So keep on, you know, keep on dreaming and keep on elevating yourself. And remember, if you have a plan, 
The only way you make money, the only way you make money, remember this, is when you add value to other people. So what value are you adding? You know, if you're launching a business, I'd, I'd love to sit here and tell you that any business could be successful, but I'm not going to. I will tell you that what, if you're thinking right now at, at, at the end of this whole show, you're still thinking, is my product going to work? Well, I want to start a business at this age. All of this. Just think about one thing. Whatever product or service you want to launch, what does it do to the, the people that you want to add value to? So what does it do to your target audience? Does it save time? Does it solve a problem? Does it save money? Does it prevent uh, a future disaster from happening? Do, does it make people, you know, increase their confidence? What is it that you expect to do? I mean, what's the outcome? What are you actually selling at the end? Because if you can't answer those questions, like does it save time or money or both or, you know, whatever, you know, like if you look at something as simple as Starbucks, for example, I mean, you remember the days when coffee was basically free. You bought something, yeah. coffee was free. And if they charged you, they didn't, they were charging more than 39 cents or something like that refills all day. Starbucks comes along, charges like four ninety five, five dollars $5 a thing. And they even have the nerve to make you wait for 30 minutes yeah. to get your your turn because they've elevated that experience, right? They made people feel good. Like you're getting the coffee the way you want to get. And somebody's making that one cup just for you. This is talk going back to Maya Angelou's thing, how, how it makes you feel. You crave that so badly. You're actually, I mean, Starbucks coffee is so bitter. Let me tell you, it's not a good coffee. I, think, <laughs> I, I, think about I like that. Starbucks. I, so, I, I remember the very first Starbucks since I lived in Seattle mm -hmm. at the time. And the very first one in, you know, at the Pike Place Market. But but it is bitter and it is strong. It depending is strong, on where you it's go. It's bitter and it's normally you have to put all this crap in there just to make it, you know, drinkable. Palatable. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean and, and that uh company was started by two teachers with no money. So if you think about it, uh in fact, I'm gonna leave you with this. All the people that are now pretty much controlling our lives indirectly. We're talking Apple, Google, Facebook, you know, I don't know, Microsoft. All of these companies were started with less than $5,000 by young punk that, you know, didn't give up on their dream. Most yeah. of them are a college degree. I mean, other than Jeff Bezos, none of them had a college degree. Yeah. So think about that. You could be that next person changing how we live. Love and that. that's a really profound and, thought. But let's not forget that, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken was started, you know, by by Colonel Sanders when he was in his 60s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so a lot of, we don't want to say that, you know, the young the young punks have done really well. You know, we've got the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, but then there are, you know, Sarah Blakely's and, yes. and you. Yeah. And so just because those were young punks, we're, we're never past our prime. No. And I, the point I was trying to make is the young punks didn't know anything they were doing. Right. The 50-year-old women know what they're doing that's a whole other thing it gives us a that gives us an unfair advantage yeah that's awesome well victoria thanks so much for spending time with us today here on the menopause movement it's been really great and um i can't wait to have you back same here and uh Yay. let's reconnect after you know after the show i mean i just so enjoyed uh you and uh, <laughs> And, and just our time. And uh, I have to tell you, I've been interviewed by over a hundred different media. And, you know, like, I don't even know how many hundreds, but it's quite a few. Uh, you got a lot out of me. Oh, wow. Thanks. Mm -hmm. You that just have a feel way. Good. Yeah, you got a lot out of me. It's good. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate that.